0: Hello and welcome to Time for Cakes and Ale, episode 13, with me, Ethan,
1: And me, Bex.
0: Kong!
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, this is actually uh, the only way we could think of uh, starting an episode. We'd be trying to work out what to say, and in the end, I took the initiative and just thought I would start by shouting Kong very loudly. <laughs> uh, the reason for that is uh, we've just been to see Kong.
1: Yeah, and uh, I'm guessing you enjoyed it? I enjoyed it.
0: I enjoyed it. <laughs> although, to be fair, we've already had this conversation. Because <laughs> we went at the same time.
1: <laughs> it would have been a bit weird if we'd been two different cinemas at the same time, come back, and then waited till now.
0: But you would have known I liked it, because I would have shouted Kong just like <laughs> And although I didn't start this episode by shouting at Logan, because that would have sounded really weird, I did like Logan as well. Yeah. yeah.
1: It was a good double bill.
0: It was a good double bill.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, so, uh, Kong.
1: Kong. Yes. Kong. I didn't realise... Before we talked about going to see this, that he was a giant ape. <laughs> that uh, it's an entry in this MonsterVerse.
0: It's weird they haven't really talked about it. I think that much in the publicity for it, but it is serving as the second part in the new legendary pictures uh, MonsterVerse, which started with Godzilla in 2014. Yeah, it is a standalone film. But there are elements of it that put it in the same universe, and certainly it's part of what's going to be a sequence of Godzilla, Kong, Skull Island, there's another Godzilla sequel, and then there's going to be Godzilla vs. King Kong uh, <laughs> at some time in the future. And they've already said they're going to make it, so even if the next one, this next Godzilla 2 movie is terrible, mm. uh, they're still going to make the, um, the final Godzilla vs. Kong movie.
1: Yeah. But Kong has made a pretty decent amount in the box office, hasn't it? So they must be feeling positive about it.
0: Yeah, I think they've deliberately sold it as just a King Kong film. Mm. And they haven't pitched it as part of the Monsterverse or whatever too much. They've just decided to make what they think is a really good King Kong movie. And I think people will be pleasantly surprised to know that it's part of a Monsterverse. But it's nice to have a film that doesn't really need to have 10 films before it. you to understand it even though it's part of a linked universe yeah it is just a really good fun film to watch and you can watch it in isolation and you can leave it at that if you want
1: yeah one of the things that surprised me was how funny it was at times and just how it got on with being a big fun action movie it it was only what two hours long yeah it just cracked on with the story Uh, there was no hour-long build-up before anything happened didn't turn into some dragged-out three-hour epic. Yeah, with
0: glimpses of Kong here and there, and then eventually you see him ten minutes before the end. Yeah. This was just lots of Kong. <laughs> or the or it's correct title, Kong, Skull Island, because yeah. really it is about the uh, journey that a group of people make to Skull Island, which is home of Kong, but also it has lots of other elements to it as well that make, I think, the environment a lot more a character of the film than just having King Kong on its own.
1: Mm-hmm. So what did you make of the period setting of it?
0: Yeah, so it's set at the very, very end of the Vietnam War. And uh, let's be honest, it really hammers home the point that that's when it's set. <laughs> it's like it's clearly been made by people who have a lot of affection for a lot of Vietnam War movies. It's mm. basically shot a bit like Apocalypse Now. Lots of blazing sunsets and helico- black helicopters and you know, flying against the skies. And it just feels like a war movie. But at the same time, they've used that to make it kind of very gritty and very realistic and putting these characters who are all uh, military and scientists. And interestingly, it's military who are now no longer serving a function now. The war is over Mm. and potentially looking for a purpose and also having a kind of a tricky reputation to uphold as well. It's this group of people put together to go to Skull Island. And it really is kind of like what would happen if a group of people stumbled upon an island that was filled with giant kaiju monsters in it um, it doesn't have any of the pretense of being too close to the original king kong film and unusually given it's part of this new monster verse unlike the recent godzilla movie it's not set in the present day either
1: my main problem with the film was tom hiddleston's character i can't remember the character's name that's never a good sign no he was like the ex sas or something yeah. And he's completely superfluous. Yeah. There's no point in him being in the story. I think
0: he's meant to be like a tracker or some mercenary who's been hired to uh, guide this group of people through uh, Skull Island. But beyond that description, he doesn't really serve a purpose, which is odd because he's clearly lined up as the as the lead hero.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he, he was—he was kind of surrounded by better actors throughout the entire film. Doesn't take much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just felt you could have—you could have written him out and just—I don't know—turned Brie Larson's character yeah. into a photographer slash adventurer. Yeah, and just could have—it it would have been the same.
0: It would have been the same. It would have had one less character in it, and it would have given a bit more weight to a much better character in the film. Hmm. Um, I think certainly to have had a situation where a King Kong film had a female lead who wasn't playing the Fay Ray kind of character who Mm. is designed as the love interest of of King Kong in some way, that would have been kind of interesting to have just the leader of the mission being Brie Larson's character would have been kind of cool.
1: Yeah, because they're supposed to effectively be a civilian Mm. and ultimately on the side of the civilians because you've got a kind of triangle of power within the people who have gone because you've got uh, the military you've got the people who are a monarch and then you've got the other people the other civilians who are there who are neither military nor monarch but just happen to have come along for various reasons and it just felt like they needed to have a lead and they thought well who's popular at the moment oh we'll write a character for Tom Hillstone or mm. something it just didn't feel. Mm. Like his character served any purpose in the story,
0: but aside from that, I think that's the one minor quibble with it. Yeah. Overall, I think it's a really good sci-fi action film. It's very, it's very economical with its time and with its content. It gets straight to the point, like you said, and it's actually just a lot of fun. Yeah. We're not going to give away too much of the plot or anything, um, as you can kind of guess. It's a lot of people going to Skull Island. <laughs> um, what happens there is absolutely bonkers. Yeah. It looks really cool. It's really fun to watch. It's very funny. Um, It's very entertaining and it's much better than, I think, the 2014 Godzilla movie.
1: And then after that, we went straight back in to see Logan, Mm. uh, which is the best X-Men film I've seen in so long. I I, I genuinely left the cinema thinking that has almost erased the bad memories of all of the most recent X-Men films I've seen, which have been just increasingly poor. I liked setting it a little bit in the future. Yeah. I liked the way they basically said, right, we're, we're going to make an old Western type film yeah. here, but about superheroes in the future, but it's basically a Western. Mm. And a couple of times they maybe hammered the point home a bit too much, but by and large, by deciding to go down that route and not getting tangled up in all of the kind of wider X Men universe, plotting things for the future. They were just able to make a really good movie yeah. and a really incredibly violent movie as well. Yeah.
0: It was like, was it a 15 or an 18? <laughs> it was a 15, yeah. which
1: I couldn't believe just from the opening scene alone. I thought, hey, was this an 18? Because I didn't remember it being an 18 mm. going in. But not that long ago, the opening scene alone would have made something yeah. an 18. It's actually quite shocking when you watch 15 rated films from only 10, 15 years ago. And then you watch this and you think, my God, this is a 15 now. Mm. I mean, a lot of people were getting stabbed in the head a lot of times.
0: <laughs> the thing is, it was very much a proper Wolverine film. Yeah. It's the first time they've ever managed to capture crazy Wolverine antics on mm. screen. And I think they've got around that by, like you said, not including it as part of the very brawling current x-men continuity that i don't really follow these days anyway it's set it's set like you said in the future and without anything that ties it down so it can do its own thing it can be a movie about wolverine you know he's the reason why people i think like the x-men movies sometimes you can keep changing all the other characters by flipping back and forwards in time but wolverine's like the one constant which they can put into a movie and know it's going to get bums on seats I think, And this time he's really allowed to be the Wolverine that I think people want.
1: And so many of the recent films have been the Muppet Babies X-Men, rather than the X-Men from the continuity that originally began in the film forms. Mm. What was it, about 2000? 2000, ages ago, yeah. Um, It was actually also really nice just to have Patrick Stewart as uh, Professor X in the film. Um, No offence to James McAvoy, but... Please, come on. <laughs> the thing is,
0: I think by not having a um, massive ensemble, yeah, the characters who are in it get a bit of time to actually show how good they are. And they all play off each other very well. I think there's really good stuff from, obviously, Hugh Jackman, Patrick Stewart, uh, Stephen Merchant's very good in it. I never thought I'd say this, but even uh, Richard E. Grant is very good in this movie. Yeah. And, even, and It's one of those things, I didn't even know who's going to be in it. And he turns up and he does his role as the kind of sinister research scientist running a secret set of experiments quite well. And the other character who's a big standout is uh, the young girl who plays X-23.
1: Yeah, so Daphne Keane, her name is. Mm. I'm not sure how old the actress is, how much older she is than the character that she was mm. playing, but she's fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. I don't think she's been in any, telling nothing that I've seen before. Yeah. And the, the special effects as well, because there were, there were clearly stunts that she herself wasn't doing. Mm. But the the way they're now able to blend together mm. whatever stunt doubles were doing what she was doing, it looked for all the world like she was mm. leapfrogging over people and stabbing them in the head. It and I think crazy. to have
0: this situation where you've got old man Logan and X-23, you kind of think there's a big kind of generational story which is being told. There's mm. Patrick Stewart as like the really senior-wise old character. And like you said, I think it is played out like a western it's got it's set in scorching sunlight for a lot of it it's very bleak and arid it's the kind of film that well it's kind of x-men film that probably sergio leone would have made yeah if he'd been allowed to make one (laughs) it's very raw and gruff there's no polish that you see in the current x-men films at all and i think you know not just being a good x-men movie it's actually just a very good movie as well (laughs) Yeah, so switching tack a little bit, the main topic that we wanted to kind of talk about today was another character that is part of a much, much bigger universe. But I suppose unlike Logan in the X-Men, this character has been on the periphery of a much larger universe. And it's uh, John Constantine.
1: Yeah, so there have been a lot of almost false starts, really, with trying to put John Constantine on screen and we're going to stick with talking about all the various screen iterations today. Um, We might talk about the comics another time, but that's...
0: That's a 15-part episode (laughs) that takes in all 300 original Hellbaser issues, all the spin-offs, the one-shots...
1: Yeah, and and the new 52... And
0: the the... the multiple reboots that they've done of it in the last three years-odd.
1: Yeah. So this was prompted by uh, the fact that the Justice League Dark animated film has just come out on DVD. So we thought it was a good opportunity to go back and watch the film version of Constantine from... Was 2005? That, 2005-ish, yeah. yeah. Um, starring Keanu Reeves, which is much lamented, I think, in <laughs> the circles of fans of the comics, and which neither of us have seen in a really long time. But to go back and take another look at that... While also having a think about all the stuff that's going on in TV because there was the show on NBC that got cancelled and then he turned up in the CW universe. Now there's going to be this uh, CW animated series. Could that go somewhere? So there's all these different iterations of the character on screen and why has he never quite taken off in the way that some other superhero characters have?
0: Yeah, because he's been rebooted a few times now. We're in an era where you're having another generation of Spider-Man, there's Batmans all over the place, Mm. Superman, iterations everywhere. And this is one character who's been around a very long time, actually, who has quite a rich uh, backstory, but one which is kind of quite ripe, potentially, for lots of stories that can be told, either on TV or in film.
1: Yeah. So when we sat down to watch the 2005 film again... One of the first things that struck me was the fact that it was a standalone film; it wasn't part of any universe. I don't think that any film studio now would make a new film that had its roots in a comic book that wasn't part of some expanded yeah. universe. It would either be in the in the DC universe or the, or the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And However, tangentially,
0: to it. they would shoehorn it into a much wider world.
1: Yeah, and. Strangely, a lot of what makes the 2005 film a bit odd in terms of is it really a John Constantine film and the differences that you see in in the Keanu Reeves version of the character to where he appears in the comic are things that you probably couldn't do unless it was a a standalone, self-contained film. And watching it again, it was striking how very overtly religious the film is to the point where it is almost exclusively Christian, almost exclusively Catholic, really. And in that way, it jettisons a lot of the wider DC theological universe. Because you look back at the original Hellblazer run, which is in the Vertigo universe, so you have that vast kind of theological landscape going on, the same one that you get in Sandman, it's all part of the same universe. And so things in the film are... By necessity, streamlined down into this one simple: this is a Catholic universe, and all of the magic comes from there. So, in fact, there's not really that much magic in mm. the in the film. There's a lot of exorcism in the film. Yeah.
0: That's how they. That's how they play this Constantine. Yeah, um, that's his profession, and that's how he's brought into the film in the first in the first instance.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because if you're going to try and translate the character onto the screen. You can't make a a direct translation from comic book into a film. The fact that you're working in a different medium means you have to make changes to the story and and the way that you show the character simply because you've got to work in a different medium. You've got, like, two hours or, or however long to get the story across. And
0: you can't have that number of characters. You can't have too many plot strands. And you can't have a film which requires as much prior knowledge as the comics would probably need.
1: Yeah, because you can... To some extent, you could have a film that was about Batman um, or Spider-Man and expect the audience to come with at least a baseline of knowledge about the character.
0: And they'll still show Bruce Wayne's parents being killed. <laughs> yeah.
1: over and over and over again. But with a character that people completely don't know, and it's interesting that this isn't an origin story of any kind. It just dives straight into him being who he is you can't expect the audience to come with all the knowledge of of all the theological stuff that's going on in the vertigo universe so it's, it's very much a a sort of streamlined version of the universe and a streamlined version of john at that and that they've, they've they've chipped off a few elements of his personality in order to put him in the film
0: as we said earlier on there's like a lot of history to the constantine character yeah he's um And so so he originated in Swamp Thing back in the mid-80s?
1: Yeah, so he's a creation of Alan Moore back when he was writing Swamp Thing. Uh, He started appearing in Swamp Thing as a side character in the 80s and then a few years later was spun off into his own title which was Hellblazer um, in the late 80s and that ran for 300 issues. Uh, Sadly, it's no longer with us but it had an extraordinarily good, very long run for a comic that I think was often quite under the radar. It's, it's not one of the big superhero comics, and yet it had enough of a following to run for for 300 issues, which is pretty impressive.
0: So what like, what are the core elements of, of the character John Constantine? Well, I won't say what's his backstory, that's very complicated, But yeah. um, but who is he as a character? How does he fit into the whole Vertigo universe?
1: Yeah, Um, he's a magic user, predominantly Um, a bit of a con artist he's someone who gets by on his wits basically and with the exception of the 2005 film which changes a lot of elements of his character uh, he's from Liverpool he usually wears a trench coat he looks quite a bit like uh, Castiel from Supernatural to the point where they, they basically must have based Castiel off the way that Constantine looked
0: I think Supernatural itself has ripped off a lot of Constantine, <laughs> generally.
1: Yeah. And he's a very cynical, but very funny, sort of anti-hero type character. Um, he's a very refreshing antidote to the very earnest superheroes that you get in some of the other comics. In that he he's just as likely to tell you to sod off as he is to try and help. A lot of the time he's out for himself, but he can also be quite selfless at the same time. He's, he's a, a very complicated character whose backstory in all but the 2005 film mm. is that he's been involved in tragic incidents in the past, which basically never stopped haunting him. And uh, he, for that reason, pretty much assumes that he's damned anyway mm. and uh, has probably as as much of a, a cynical outlook on the world as as, you know, any character could within a, a mainstream superhero kind of universe.
0: Do you think he's too much of an antihero to make him the kind of lead in a superhero film that we have nowadays? You know, is he kind of too is he too complex almost, or is he just too much of a bastard to be <laughs> the lead? Like like somebody who who people can warm to I mean surely that's half the fun of this character he has a very dismissive attitude of authority he doesn't really care about much he gets drawn into these situations he doesn't really like being drawn into these situations and his motives are often quite uh, shaky as well
1: yeah so you might have a point it could be that what people want from their their big shiny summer blockbuster heroes is optimism Um, and a sense that heroes are ultimately good guys and and very much on the side of the people. And that even the, the heroes that can be more cynical, because if you look at the way, for example, Tony Stark is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, he can be very cynical and he can have a bit of an attitude towards authority, but nothing like in the same league as the way that John Constantine is and ultimately his you know tony stark's better nature he's he's becoming a better person mm. as the story goes on and he, he if if he was a bit more of a bastard maybe it would never have taken off maybe maybe those iron man films wouldn't have been as successful mm. and and we wouldn't have the mcu as we know it
0: do you think again going back to this idea that you know these superhero films being churned out at the moment, and actually loads of comic properties are being mined to come up with new TV shows and films. Do you think that Constantine, and this might be a bit of an unfair question? Do you think he has an iconic enough look to be considered a big star hero? You know, he's a dude in a scruffy shirt with a tie with a trench coat. He smokes. He's, he's not like the big superhero in a cape and doing good all the time. He just looks like an everyman who's had a few too many.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he looks like someone who's halfway home from the pub most of the time. Yeah. And actually the smoking thing is interesting because the smoking is as much a part of his look and his... I don't want to say costume, it's not a costume, but, but the iconic way that he looks. And in superhero films now... You can stab 20 people in the head, but you can't smoke. So it is a problem. And it was a problem that when they did their NBC series, Mm. they skirted around the issue. You could see in some shots that he was smoking or had been smoking, but you don't really see him smoking that much because you're not really supposed to anymore. But it's still okay for lots of people to get killed in the course of these episodes. (laughs)
0: claws through the head spine <laughs> repeatedly that's only a 15 um,
1: yeah put someone smoking probably being 18 these days mm. yeah but it's, it's something that you can't remove from the character because one of the things about John is that he, he never really learns mm. he he isn't going to change to the point where this isn't really a spoiler because it, it's it, in film terms it's quite early on and it was in one of the very early runs of the comic as well is that he actually develops lung cancer as a result of smoking and only avoids death through slightly nefarious means so, it, but even after that, he carries on smoking anyway, because that's who he is he isn't going to stop being that way, um, just because something horrific almost happened to him, so that's, that would be problematic whenever you try and put him on screen today
0: mm. So, right the big film was the uh, 2005 Constantine from uh, what's his face? Francis Lawrence, who did the Hunger Games movies later yes. on. Like yeah. I am legend. So what's your overall feeling about the take on John Constantine that they put in that in that movie?
1: So there are superficial problems that I have with it. And then there's a big problem that I have with it. The, the, the but they're all problems. <laughs> they're all problems. The fact that they make him American is presumably a, was a commercial necessity at mm. the time they decided that they wanted to have Keanu Reeves in it or some big American film star to do it um, I think today there are a lot of very famous very popular British actors that if you if they were in the same position now developing a film they'd probably just go out and hire one of them and mm. say well we're going to keep him English doesn't matter you know which of them can do a good Liverpool accent we'll go with them mm. uh, but at the time obviously for whatever reason uh, they decided we're going to go with an American Constantine. It's got black hair. It doesn't really look like Constantine. To an extent, these are all superficial things. It does feel odd when you're watching the film to hear him speak with an American accent, but then you realise, for most of the world, watching it dubbed, they wouldn't be hearing someone <laughs> with an English accent anyway. In they um, could have
0: dubbed it when they released it over here. <laughs> they could have done. With a Liverpool accent.
1: They <laughs> could have done. Um, th- the fact that he looks different... I mean, it's, it's something that is probably only going to bother fans. And mm. At the time they released that film, most people probably wouldn't have had a clue who the character was, so you can make those changes in a way that would upset a lot more people if you made drastic changes to I don't know, Bruce Wayne and suddenly made him an English billionaire or something like that.
0: Richard Branson.
1: <laughs> My biggest problem was the change to his backstory. Now, most superheroes... Have something in their backstory that has made them who they are, and no matter how many iterations of that you get, that element of their backstory remains the same. Mm. So the murder of Bruce Wayne's parents, or um, you know Krypton being destroyed and Superman being completely you know on, on his own, or Uncle Ben uh, getting killed.
0: <laughs> even in <the> a rice <laughs> one. I was like.
1: <laughs> Where are really I at my long
0: grain rice? <laughs> Spider Man, that one. So I, I, <laughs> was, one. Sorry, I was, zoned out for a second, <laughs> and all of a sudden I heard Uncle Ben. I was very confused.
1: Is it just because you're hungry? <laughs>
0: Could be. Mm.
1: And for John Constantine, it, it's basically that the, this some of the series of horrendous events that happened when he was younger, particularly the events that happened in Newcastle, um, within the comics, which. If you wanted to make him American, you could simply transplant Newcastle for an American city yeah. and have had the same events happen.
0: The event in Chicago.
1: Yeah, yeah, the Chicago incident. But instead, and this is partly in keeping with the kind of theological themes of the film, they removed that completely from his backstory and instead change his backstory so that he's he's someone who's very troubled when he was younger and attempted to commit suicide for me that's like saying oh we're going to do a version of bruce wayne now but his parents didn't get get killed outside the opera instead they died back on a skiing holiday or something like that it it doesn't make any sense Hmm. it would be a version of bruce wayne but it wouldn't be bruce wayne
0: Hmm.
1: and it's the
0: like it's the pivotal event which makes them who they are yeah. And so you can't remove it or change it without fundamentally altering the series of events that would follow on. And therefore, it's hard to work out how the character you see now is the one that stems from that one incident.
1: Yeah, particularly also because a lot of the supporting cast in the Hellblazer comics, um, many of whom appear in the NBC show, were also there when it happened. Mm. And so you know th- this incident permeates through all of their futures and in a way, permanently binds them all together. Changing that, I just... It it, it meant that it wasn't really him. Hmm. I thought it was a version of him.
0: So what bits of the comic or specific runs did they use when they were putting together the Constantine movie?
1: The main one, I guess, is the Dangerous Habits storyline from the comic, uh, which is the storyline where he gets lung cancer from smoking. That's used throughout the film, that, that basically he at the beginning he knows he's dying and because of the way they've changed the backstory basically he thinks that he, he's damned because he tried to kill himself whereas in, in the story it's basically because uh, he's pissed off half of heaven and half of hell as well to be honest so he's he's pretty certain what's going to happen to him when he dies but in the film it, it seems to be used much more as a plot device to essentially make the character aware that his time is short and to to kind of bring into a sharper focus this problem that he has which is that he knows that he's going to go to hell in the comics it's been a few years since i last read dangerous habits but the things that always stuck with me the most from the comics were actually the more mundane things the way he sits and talks with some of the other patients who are being treated in the hospital things like that these these ordinary everyday things that are nothing to do with magic or superheroes or villains or anything like that, those were the moments that I remember the most vividly from the comics. Plus the, the cool ending that they mm. kept, kind of half kept mm. for the film. I um, yeah. shouldn't spoil that, but... Uh... Yeah. Um, that's the main one, but again, because of the way they changed it, it lost a lot of its heart.
0: So who did The Dangerous Habits run?
1: that was Garth Ennis mm. um, I think that was just after he took over from Jamie Delano uh, Jamie Delano does the very early run um, oh. where you find out loads more about his backstory and
0: that was like the the opening of Hellblazer as a separate entity from the Swamp Thing
1: yeah, yeah. Um, and then Garth Ennis um, has the longest run on the on the comic of anyone I think um, he does it for many many years and a lot of the the kind of very famous within the circles of people who love the mm-hmm. comics uh, storylines come from there but that's where the Dangerous Habits storyline comes from and I think that there were signs in the film that the people making it had read a lot of the comics or, had, or certainly had gone back to some of the comics for their inspiration because as well as some of the plot lines from Dangerous Habits that they put in the film there's even some of the visuals where the visuals on screen resemble some of the frames from hmm. the actual issues of the comics um, the, the one that struck me, I remember, when I actually saw it in the cinema, was um, the one of Lucifer coming down feet first. And he's, you see his feet just kind of descending into the mm. frame, and it reminded me of an image straight out of that issue of the mm. comic. So they, they were trying, but they were obviously doing something very different. They had just they had decided to take the character and, and the universe in a very specific direction mm. in order to make the film they were making. So, it, yeah, in, in some ways it was Constantine, but in some ways it just wasn't.
0: Did it actually need to be Constantine? That's kind of the key. I mean, if it's, you know, if, if we're talking about, you know, was this a good iteration on screen of Constantine? Mm. Did the film itself need that character to be John Constantine? Or could it just be a generic movie where there's a mysterious young American exorcist who turns up and he gets embroiled in this situation, this battle between good and evil blah blah blah
1: yeah you could have done because it wasn't tied to any other films within a, a shared universe it, you could have just changed the name and just had someone who was an exorcist mm. because that's what he does most of the time mm. the, the John of the comics and the, the John that you see in the NBC series and in the Justice League Dark thing that we'll get to is a magic user a user of old magic mm. but in the film most of the supernatural stuff you see is very specifically religious, hmm. and he occasionally uses magical artifacts, but you never really see him performing that much magic, with the exception of that bit where he uses the cat to or transport. To go him. into but
0: hell and yeah. yeah.
1: So other than that, it you, it didn't really need to be him, particularly as they didn't really use much of the supporting cast. They put Chaz in the film, but come on, there wasn't Chaz. I, I don't know why they decided to make him a sort of younger apprentice type figure, mm. other than maybe to have a character whose stuff could be explained to, yeah. so that you can explain it to the audience.
0: So in the in the comics, how does Chaz work? He's a lot older in the comics, and he's more he's more a contemporary of, of in terms of age, of you know John Constantine. He's yeah. a taxi driver.
1: Yeah, he's but, a taxi yeah. driver in London, um, and he's he's basically John's only. Friend continuously throughout mm. the And run his of confidant concert. in a lot of it as well. Yeah. 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 So it, it felt really off to say, oh, he's Chaz, he's a taxi driver. Oh, but also he's much younger and he's his apprentice. And he's Sheila Booth. <laughs> oh, God, yeah.
0: It's terrible. That wouldn't happen these days. No. That wouldn't. That's pretty straight after Even Stevens.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the weird thing was that I only noticed on this rewatch is that he disappears for the middle half of the film. Yeah. He, you last see him uh, like shouting off to John in the rain, and he says, "John, it's raining," which is the most superfluous thing you can say to someone walking in the rain.
0: Classic Lebov.
1: <laughs> and then you don't see him for like half an hour, uh, and that's when he's spending most of his time with uh, Angela, mm. who's a Rachel Vice character, and she becomes a character that stuff can be explained to, so the audience can follow what's going on.
0: But it's also odd because one thing I thought was very bizarre, I only noticed it on this rewatch. Was the fact that Sheila Booth appears in a post-credit scene? Yeah, in such a way that one doesn't make any sense, and two, kind of goes against the feature of Chaz, which was a highlight of his appearance in the comics.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't know what was going on in that post-credit scene. I I don't understand whether they're implying something about his character throughout the film, or that I yeah.
0: Yeah, can we spoil it? It's it's been, like, 17 years. Yeah. (laughs) 12 years. It's been 12 years.
1: So, spoilers, but in the 2005 film, uh, very near the end of the film, Chaz gets killed by Gabriel. And in a post credit scene, John is at Chaz's grave, and he turns around, and Chaz is there, and he's an angel, and he flies off. What was that all about? I, I don't understand what was going on there. I'd, was was he was he meant to have been an angel all along? But that didn't make sense, because Constantine would have been able to tell, Angela would have been able to tell. Or has he become an angel after he died? It doesn't make
0: sense, because the whole point of Chaz, I thought, was that he is kind of semi-immortal as well.
1: So in the... Yeah, so shall we move on to the NBC series and the Chaz that you get Yeah, let's
0: jump there. Yeah, there yeah. yeah,
1: so in the NBC series, Chaz... The taxi driver. He's American, but I can get over that. And he is, I suppose, semi immortal in that he has a number of deaths that he can use up due to a number of souls that he absorbed in a, an incident involving John, where John cast a spell on him and things went a bit awry as they usually do with John's spells. So in the TV series, it, it goes back to him being a contemporary of John. To them having much more of a kind of slightly sparring relationship, but a friendship that is much truer to the, the kind of friendship that you know it should be, um, rather than any kind of apprentice type role. Mm. That I, I yeah, it, it was an odd choice to do that in the film. And so, in the TV series, you've got a sort of trio of main characters you've got John, you've got Chaz, and you've got Zed who uh comes into it, she wasn't in the pilot. As the, as the kind of female lead but they they seem to have botched the pilot episode up quite mm. a lot. The, the show suffered from being very tonally shaky in early episodes. They didn't seem to know what kind of show they were making. Mm. The tone of the pilot is very different to the tone of the next episode and the female lead they introduced in the pilot they then write out uh, right. after, I, I guess they must have got feedback or focus groups or whatever they do
0: we don't like this character get rid of them
1: yeah so they write her out at the end of the pilot that you see she just
0: disappears at the end doesn't she She leaves a note saying i'm sorry john i can't take this anymore but i've left you all the things i set up for plots and i'll let some (laughs) other female character take over this this function
1: yeah Yeah, yes the the ring and zed instead so the show is really the three of them it's not all three of them in all episodes sometimes it's just john and one or the other of them Tagging along uh, to investigate whatever um, nefarious thing has popped up on the map this week,
0: which is linked to this rising—I was going to say rising damp—the
1: <laughs> the rising darkness, the rising darkness. That's the yeah. one. Yeah. See, so you've got an overarching plot of this this pending doom that's coming, this rising darkness, and then you've very much got monster of the week. So it's set up in a very familiar way, but. I don't know if ultimately it just suffered from those early episodes being so different. That second episode, uh, which I think was the one in the mining town, that felt like it could have been straight out of season three of Supernatural. You know, you, you could have lifted John and the gang out and dropped the Winchester brothers in and it would have felt tonally exactly like an early episode of Supernatural. Mm. It It felt too derivative and it was so different in tone to the much more kind of very boldly weird tone that they had in the pilot mm. so it's, it's difficult because sometimes shows just need time to find their feet but they don't usually get that time anymore and yeah. unfortunately this one didn't
0: yeah it lasted for what 13 episodes
1: 13 episodes and there's actually some pretty good episodes yeah. it gets
0: there? really it actually gets quite good i think towards the end i think it starts to settle into a proper overarching plot and the tone becomes a lot more like the comic books. He starts to use magic a lot more. Yeah. (laughs) And it is more about the battle between good and evil. But it is absolutely bonkers, I think, towards the end. I mean, the visuals start changing a lot to reflect the kind of psychedelic weirdness of some of the magic that used to happen in the Hellblazer comics. And certainly there's a sense of it being a lot... Well, it's kind of more grim and he is suddenly in this massive fight i think it becomes you know a very different beast towards the end and it's kind of a bit of a shame that it wasn't given an either a longer first season so maybe 20 episodes instead or just another season like they've wasted the first three or four episodes trying different types of episode to see which one might work
1: yeah and the, the first one that really starts to work is i think the feast of friends episode which is pretty much lifted straight from the comic, um, which is the one with the hunger demon mm. and his friend Gary, who turns up, which has an incredibly bleak ending, um, in keeping with the comics. Mm. And you start to see that when they go back to the comics for inspiration, even though this is you know a, a much more recent John, it's you know it's still a different John to the one you get in the comics. He's still not. As much of a bastard as he is in the comics, but it's network television, Mm. so you kind of expect that. But when they start going back to the comics for that source material, it it starts to hit the right tone. Um, So I think that was the first episode I remember where I thought actually this show has a lot of promise, Mm. and the way they're doing it is is interesting.
0: And there were good things that were in it, like they started to tease. Constantine as part of a much larger universe that would have probably driven it more in the the direction of the comic book Constantine so you start to see what's um the policeman shows up Jim Corrigan shows up who will eventually become the specter yeah there's that shot where you see the the helmet of Dr. Fate and all this business all these things which are teasing a much larger universe it's kind of a shame we didn't get to go on but yeah going back to this idea of like putting this character on on screen. So, what were the sort of fundamental differences that made the Constantine in the TV show work? So, you have, you know, Matt Ryan versus Keanu Reeves. Hmm. That's a simple problem. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, what was it about the portrayal that seemed to work in terms of bringing Constantine to the screen successfully? And what was kind of potentially not as good that maybe could have been improved or may have, or, or could have changed
1: yeah well they 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 reinstate the important parts of the backstory uh, in the NBC series which is important obviously you've got the bonus that he's English and he's blonde and all of these things that seem to be fairly straightforward yeah. aspects of the character that was you know inexplicably changed in 2005 it's got a lot more of the humor back in the series the film, was really quite humourless. Mm. And the only... There the are a few occasions in the film where you got glimpses of him being John, and it was the handful of moments where they actually put something resembling a joke into the film. But otherwise, the film is so gloomy and serious mm. and emo to the point where it's all... They even put him in a black coat mm. instead of a trench coat. Um, it's it's just kind of visually very... Is
0: that, do you think, though, how they equate a character like John Constantine. Is that how they thought they needed to portray an exorcist character on screen?
1: Yeah, it's it's odd, isn't it? The the wearing just black and white like a member of the clergy would yeah. and somehow associating those colours and, and the the big black coat with with that kind of world. Whereas that's that's not him. He's he's certainly not any kind of, you know, slightly emo character.
0: It's missing the point of him being this User of old magic, this English wizard kind of character. Yeah, yeah. Who's from Liverpool? Yeah. (laughs) uh, Who has a, you know, he's he's his origins are not as polished as, as uh, the Keanu Reeves kind of one are. Um, And I think certainly you have to have a character who is got a very murky past to portray the one in the TV show. It's kind of frustrating that the Keanu Reeves version is a character who is singly built on this one event in his past mm. and that's his only character trait yeah and that kind of keeps coming back this whole link to where he tried to commit suicide and this is mm. why his soul is down think like that there's so much richness to the comic book one and at least they try and put some of that into the tv show at least and they clearly would have expanded that i think if the tv show had been allowed to carry on running
1: yeah i th- i think it's definitely a, a much more rounded Version of John, it's still not the John that you get in the comics, but I, I don't think it's actually possible to do the John of the original Hellblazer comics without it being a period piece, mm. because the John of the sort of original Hellblazer, um, Alan Moore John, can't really be removed from the politics of the seventies and eighties. Mm. It was it was a very political comic, particularly in sort of the first half of its existence mm. um, and the writers who are writing for it and when you by necessity make him someone who is that age now rather than that age in the 80s you have someone who's grown up in a different political landscape and given how much that influenced who John was as a person in the Vertigo universe you will to some extent have to have a different, mm. a different character now um, it would seem odd if a character who was supposed to be in their 30s now had those kind of political references. It's, yeah. it, it seems um, anachronistic. Yeah. The politics would have to be updated, yeah. and that's if you even made it political at all, and I think...
0: They wouldn't do that.
1: No, they wouldn't do that.
0: But also that's an interesting point about the Hellblazer comic, which which was he did kind of age in real time across yeah. his 300 issues in the original run. Yeah. So in any situation where you're trying to say this is John Constantine as portrayed by Keanu Reeves (laughs) um, it doesn't really make sense. He was a character who had a tremendous amount of events leading up to where he was and he had a future beyond him as well. It wasn't just that a Constantine adventure was him turning up, dealing with some supernatural menace and then that would be forgotten about. Everything was intertwined. Um, So they kind of do throw in the odd character in the movie as well who is linked to the Constantine comics so like Papa Midnight shows up yeah. and he's in both as well in both the tv show and the movie
1: yeah and in, in the tv show he gets a bit more time to be an interesting character um in the film I it's been a few years since we saw the film and when we watched it again I I remembered him being in it more than he was he was actually only in a couple of scenes, mm. but I remembered him more um, simply because it was, you know, it, it was well done. And but in the TV series, having more screen time and, and having more plots to be involved in, it, they were able to have him be a much more interesting character and potentially to have been a very interesting character in future plots. Mm. So it was a shame that that never that never managed to happen.
0: So any of the runs um, adapted into the Constantine TV show.
1: Yeah, so uh, the Feast of Friends episode with the Hunger Demon is kind of straight out of the comics. They've they've streamlined a few things mm. to make it fit into a 40-minute episode, but for the most part, that's it's generally the same story. And also the uh, Waiting for the Man episode right at the end of the season, mm. that also came from the comics. I, th- I think it was at its best when it was taking material from the comics as an inspiration, and that's... Lesson out there for anyone thinking of developing it again. <laughs> You've got this incredible wealth of material to go from. So use it. Yeah, so, so use it. There's a reason it ran for 300 yeah. um, issues, uh, and that's because it was doing something right for most of its run. Also, I think it really started to hit its stride, I think, with the Saint of Last Resort two parter. It started to figure out what tone it needed to be, and although it isn't the same story there were echoes in there of the hard time uh, run from Brian Azarello on the comics and it, it felt like it was becoming its own show at that point it had sort of escaped from the mess of the pilot and from feeling like lots of other different mm. shows at the beginning I also really liked uh, the episode A Whole World Out There uh, which is the one where it's the kind of world built inside someone's mind that was bonkers I really liked the double act that he had going with Richie, uh, played by Jeremy Davies. Mm. In that, the two of them worked really well together. And actually, there was a, a chemistry between the two of them more so than between John and Chaz and Zed mm. in the show. And you, to me, you could have made an entire show that was about John and Richie uh, often having ridiculous adventures and getting into scrapes.
0: And Richie is tied to his. His history from the uh, from the Newcastle incident, isn't it? Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. So Richie is someone who crops up not just in the TV version, um, but also in Justice League Dark.
0: Mm. Very smooth transition there. Mm. Yeah, so obviously the reason why we started thinking about the character of John Constantine was because DC have just released a new animated movie, Justice League Dark, which is um, the latest in their ongoing series of... Um, quite cool animated film with varying success mm. this one is uh the first featuring a lot of these characters so it obviously has the main justice league in it uh, kind of framing the whole plot so batman is the main justice league character in it but primarily this film brings into that universe john constantine zatanna dead man swamp thing jason blood a couple of other characters um felix faust some of the ones from the comics etc um it is kind of built on the mythology i think of the justice league dark dc comic as well but primarily all of these characters did originally turn up in the original hellblazer run or like spin-offs of it
1: yeah so it's interesting because although the animated universe is kind of its own universe that that isn't anything to do with any of the shows that have been on tv or anything like that it's it's odd that you've then got matt ryan voicing john and also uh, Jeremy Davies vo- voicing Richie mm. again <laughs> in, in the animated series. But it is very much its own continuity. And it's based loosely on the Justice League Dark comic that was part of the New 52 comics from a few years back, mm. which is now, I think to a large extent, been washed away mm. by all this rebirth stuff. But while it was around, it was Justice League Dark, and the idea is that you had a team of people who were magic users... Or or steeped in the supernatural in some way, who were able to fight supernatural enemies in a way that the regular Justice League could not. And in some ways, this is in the animated film they've brought out, it's kind of showing a lot of them kind of being brought together. Mm. And some of them already know each other, John and Satana have already got a big backstory together. Mm. Uh, But they're sort of being brought together by Batman essentially to fight this supernatural threat that is coming. Um, and it was really entertaining. Mm. Yeah, it, it was. It was funny. It got some good jokes in there. Um, I love the fact that when you first meet John in the film, the first thing he says is bollocks, <laughs> <laughs> and what he's doing is uh, trying to cheat a bunch of demons playing cards. Mm. And you think, yeah, that's John.
0: Yeah, it's very much I think in keeping with the with the comic book character mm. insofar as the adaptations that have been done so far. Uh, I think it shows that Matt Ryan was actually a, well, is actually a very good John Constantine, but he needs the material that fits more with the mythology of the Hellblazer run to really bring him to the fore and make him a, like a really, really good John Constantine.
1: Yeah, and being part of the animated movie universe, it does assume that people are going to come to it with a certain amount of knowledge about the comics. Mm. Not an overwhelming amount, but enough to not be phased if characters like Merlin crop up mm. and, and people like that and, you, and even if you don't know the whole history of how he fits into all the DC stuff you think, oh yeah, fine whereas if you made a, a big Hollywood film you wouldn't do stuff like that because your audiences, most of whom wouldn't necessarily know anything about the comics mm. would just be all, what? Why, wh- why, why are you suddenly giving me a flashback to this um, Jason Blood character's history? Mm. Why is this relevant in some else's film? You know, but it, but in, in the animated films you can do that because it, it feels much more like a comic in the way that you do mm. it and you would do that in a comic so you can do that in the film. You wouldn't really be able to do that in a TV series either. Mm. So, it's, it's, so it's, it shows how differently you can use the character mm. in a different medium.
0: Do you think that the Constantine who appeared, well, the live-action one who appeared in Arrow was better than the live-action one in the TV show?
1: Hmm. So, I suppose, starting from the assumption that it's the same...
0: John Constantine. John
1: Constantine yeah. Uh Which isn't necessarily the case, because the Matt Ryan John Constantine in the animated film isn't it's the same one yeah. as the one from NBC. But assuming that it is, then it, it was very different seeing him c- crop up as a kind of guest starring role. Yeah,
0: so that was what, in series four, series three?
1: Series four, because it was the Damien Duck
0: oh yeah so reminds... an otherwise terrible series of arrow yeah um but there's this plotline involving sarah lance who's just been reanimated by the lazarus pit mm. and oliver queen gets in touch with his old friend john constantine to kind of deal with some of the magic aspects of the story um, and this was after the constantine series had been cancelled for a while and there was no word on whether it would be picked up or whether the character would ever reappear again but Matt Ryan was asked to come back and guest in this episode of Arrow as John Constantine.
1: Yes, there was a big sort of fan movement to try and get the show picked up by the CW because the CW have so many DC shows running. And so what they did was to, to bring the character into this one episode of Arrow. I don't know what they were planning to do with Sarah coming back without bringing his character in, or if they were going to deal with the whole aftermath of The Ladders a bit differently. But it's, it's an interesting way to bring him in as a guest star. And it, it felt very really different because when you're, when you're sort of a guest star, you can, you can write a character, you know, a few jokes, a few good lines, and they can, they're, they're much more of a, a distilled version of themselves because someone watching Arrow might have never seen the NBC show, might have no clue mm-hmm. who the character is, so you're, you're condensing their nature down so um, compactly into the few lines that they have and the few appearances that they have that you don't necessarily get to explore the character in as full a way as you could when you've got 13 episodes or however long of a show when you can just talk about... You know, see that character develop and see their backstory and everything like that. So it felt like... It felt like... Um, it felt like Constantine had been put on the stove and boiled down into
0: (laughs) essence yeah
1: essence of Constantine um but it it did at least give people a bit of hope for what the CW might do in the future particularly Mm. now they've announced this animated series that they're going to do
0: is that in continuity with the Justice League Dark cartoon or
1: no so this this I assume is going to be in the continuity of the CW DC Arrowverse okay which is now Supergirl, Flash, Flash. Arrow and yeah. Legends of Tomorrow. And uh, there's the Vixen animated series. And I think they've also announced another animated series that's going to come I can't remember the name. But they're going to do an animated series of Constantine with Matt Ryan voicing it.
0: So it's going to be another iteration, potentially. Well, it'll be the same as the one in the Arrow episode, yeah. but it's been so long and it was such a slight thing, it may be quite different to how it's portrayed now.
1: Yeah, and what this means for the future is interesting because the first animated one they did was vixen yeah. and now basically you have her grandmother i think it is um who was a character in legends of tomorrow
0: oh yeah because she yeah the character was the grandmother was a member of the justice society of, of america
1: yeah so the vixen in the animated series is the granddaughter of the vixen in legends of tomorrow yeah yeah <laughs> figure that one out so whether this means that we'll see him again in the live-action ones...
0: He would work quite well in Legends of Tomorrow. Like, popping up for, like, a limited run. Yeah. He'd certainly make a better member of the team, probably, than Rip Hunter.
1: <laughs> oh, dear. He's good again, isn't he? Yeah, I, yeah. He was he was boring enough when he was bad, but he would be good again. Honestly. Rory. It's so confusing that there's already a Rory on board. But he'll never not be Rory. So... In some respects, even though the NBC series got cancelled and even though the 2000 film, five film didn't go anywhere mm. and didn't produce any sequels, actually th- the future is not necessarily bright mm. but at least there for the character <laughs> in, in, in terms of what they might do with it. Because yeah. obviously it would be interesting if these animated films... Continue to use the Justice League Dark characters. Do you think there
0: will be now more Justice League Dark animated things, or
1: yeah, I mean, if if it sells well.
0: Because I thought at one point there was a rumor that they were going to make a live-action version, wasn't there? One that Guillermo del Toro was planning on making. I'm not sure if that's still going to happen.
1: Yeah. Because he
0: he it was announced ages ago, and he, and it said that he was going to have Constantine, zatana Swamp Thing, Dead Man, etc. And that's kind of petered out, and then this animated movie has come up. And it's actually really good and really successful, so they may not want to change that. But maybe they will decide that with the main DC cinematic universe getting a bit wonky, they might go, (laughs) well, let's just go in a different way and do the magic thing with
1: uh, the Justice League Dark. Yeah, I heard a rumour that Colin Farrell was going to be Constantine I don't know if it was anything ever more than a rumor but it made me quite sad
0: that'd be terrible <laughs> that'd be a terrible
1: terrible thing to do yeah no, I I don't think it's ever going to happen not unless the the DC movies get a bit straightened out they've obviously got so many development problems mm. I, who's directing batman this week mm. who knows that, i am <laughs> good choice <laughs> Interesting direction they're going with that. <laughs> I, I don't know if they're going to have time to do anything other than the films that are related to the people who mm. are going to be in the Justice League.
0: But also you can do things in the animated version that you just can't do in the films.
1: Yeah,
0: and I think you can really do some interesting takes on some of the runs actually in the comic. Yeah. Uh, whether it's from the Justice League Clark, from mm. the DC 52 era, or if you go back to Hellblazer, you can probably take elements of that even if you wanted to.
1: Yeah, and, and I still think that there is a really good period movie to be done of Hellblazer, but classic Hellblazer, set in the 80s in London. And the the problem with that would be the likely rating that would end up getting put on it. It'd
0: be ruined because they they get Guy Ritchie to make it.
1: <laughs> oh, don't say that. Oh, dear, that's going to give me nightmares. But I, I found it amusing when we got the blu-ray through Mm. for justice league dark and it was a 15
0: yeah
1: and you wouldn't if you were trying to do a like a big blockbustery film they would try and make it 12a or pg-13 or whatever the equivalent is in the us and to be honest these days to be a 15 film you've got to go full logan stabbing Mm. people in the head repeatedly Mm. That gets you a 15 these days. So
0: what it takes to get an 18 again, I don't know. Um, <laughs> smoking. <Yeah>?
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why it's a 15. The biggest killer. That's probably why the cartoon is a
0: 15. Yeah. That's probably it, actually, because it's no more violent than any other. No. My goodness.
1: No. So it, you could probably get away more with him smoking, ironically, if you said it in the 80s than you could now, because yeah. you could say, oh, but in the 80s, yeah, those people smoked. We're not saying he's glamorous and cool. That's that's the other thing that really annoyed me about the 2005 film, is that at the end, uh, he starts chewing gum Mm. instead of smoking. Which is
0: the complete opposite of what John Constantine would do. Yeah. If ever there was a game, what would John Constantine do? (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: He would say, uh, screw universe, and uh, start smoking (laughs) (laughs) again. But he, he would say something a lot worse than that. But uh, on iTunes, it says that we have a clean lyric podcast. So I'm not going to say <laughs> exactly what he would say in those circumstances. Or uh, iTunes going to change our rating.
0: But he is as that. Is it Jason Blood when he first uh, sees Constantine um, in the new uh, season? What is it he says to him?
1: Uh, he says, you're a world class bastard, John.
0: <laughs> so the most pressing question about this whole issue. Uh, is why is there still no uh, John Constantine Funko?
1: Yeah. <laughs> this has been puzzling us for ages.
0: No Funko Pop of uh, John Constantine? No. And everyone else has one. I probably have one. <laughs> you probably have one.
1: Everyone in the world has a fun- there, There's so many of these blasted things now.
0: Yeah, but there's no John Constantine.
1: No, there are shops in town where one entire wall of the shop is just hundreds upon hundreds mm. of different Funkos.
0: Maybe they thought, well, we've got so many of the Castiel ones that didn't sell from <laughs> the Supernatural range so there's not really a market
1: can't they just paint his hair blonde no. and claim it's
0: it is a bit weird though he's as a character he's he's not really merchandised very much
1: no and it's I'm... weird even
0: now because now he's being heavily promoted in the uh animated dc universe at least the fact he has a comic still running in the you know which annoyingly has a variant cover for every issue at the moment. <laughs> you know he's in that he's in justice league dark there's clearly enough interest in his character I mean, more broadly, I mean, why do you think he hasn't sort of pervaded the public consciousness as much as other characters?
1: Yeah, it is odd because we've seen merchandise for far more obscure characters mm. and multiple versions of Funkos mm. for some characters who, who can't be any more well known than John Constantine. So it is odd. That there isn't one. I don't know if it's some kind of strange rights issue. or, Yeah, give us a Funko John Constantine, please.
0: Or else. (laughs) That's been our kind of ramble about the character of John Constantine (laughs) as he's appeared outside of the comic books and on screen in various forms. I suppose one thing that's come up is the fact that, look, the the real John Constantine remains in the comics. But when it succeeds on screen, they've taken more of it from the comic backstory. Yeah. So if somebody is completely new to Constantine, what are the best kind of runs or arcs that, you know, that people might be interested in picking up?
1: Yeah. So they've been releasing trades of um, collections of the original comics, the Hellblazer comics. Um, There were trades in the past, but they're they're a bit of a hodgepodge of leaving some issues out, bringing together some storylines and skipping over some stuff. But the ones they're issuing now in trade, I think, are the complete from one to ultimately 300. So I would say start at the beginning, start with the Jamie Delano run, Mm. which is from issue one to 40, Mm. I think it is. That's got all the important backstory stuff and a lot of the very kind of more political stuff from the 1980s in it. Uh, and then after that, you get the Garth Ennis run, uh, f- which is for a long time. It starts and then uh, I think Paul Jenkins does it for a while and then Garth Ennis comes back. But that's got some of the famous stuff in it, like the Dangerous Habits. You can pick that up in a, in a trade. That's that's You can get the old trades for that as well. Mm. That was collected. Then you get uh, Warren Ellis did it for a while. Uh, Brian Azzarello did it. Uh, Mike Carey did it for a few years I really like the Mike Carey stories, um, I know they're a bit marmite in fact to be honest I think Brian Azarello is a bit marmite as well in terms of some fans really liked it some mm. fans didn't, but I like the Mike Carey stuff, then after that you get, once you get past sort of issue 200 you get quite a few people working on it between 200 and 300 um, Denise Mina did it, Andy Diggle did it and when it ended, it was Peter Milligan um, writing it. But I would say that go back to the Jamie Delano garth Hennis years. Mm. And if you love the character, then you're just going to keep reading to the mm. end, basically, um, in the in the trades that you can pick up. After Hellblazer, you've then got the New 52 stuff, which was the Justice League Dark comic. And also a Constantine comic that ran at the same time as part of the New 52 Uh, continuity, then when that effectively got retconned or whatever it is that they did (laughs) to it I still don't entirely understand what it is that that DC have done to their universe, but you you then got one that was called Constantine the Hellblazer uh, which didn't run for very long and what you now have is a comic called The Hellblazer, which is still part of the main DC continuity, so it's not as adult Mm. as the Vertigo comics were because the Vertigo universe was intended to be
0: a grown up adult one. Yeah,
1: yeah, it it was where you could put material that you wouldn't put in a mainstream DC comic but he is now very much brought back into the fold of the main DC continuity. So he crops up in other people's comics in the main DC storyline. He always kind of did that to an extent but a lot more now that it's his own comic is is within that continuity. But if you want to get the original Constantine, the one that kind of sparked all this off, then go back to the Vertigo ones.
0: Or maybe they'll just stop it all now and uh, just pretend it didn't happen and <laughs> just carry on with Vertigo Hellblazer 301. Yeah. That will be fine.
1: Let's just, yeah, let's just pretend that it's all fine. <laughs> Hellblazer 301, let's go.
0: <laughs> and in terms of how you'd rank the, uh, the appearances of Constantine, how they've been done on screen, yeah. so how would you uh, put those in order?
1: Oh man, I still think that the Matt Ryan live action one is a, a much more rounded Constantine than the Matt Ryan animated one if that makes yeah. sense. But that's largely a question of how much time you get to do things. That the Matt Ryan live action one you had far more opportunity to kind of explore the relationships that that were in the story and and bring in some of the secondary characters who had the potential to be really interesting. In the animated film, although it's a very fun film, it's very much like the the kind of DC comic books mm. where you've got a huge cast. And although he is kind of the main character, you wouldn't know that to look at the cover of the DVD because it's got Batman. Batman, <laughs> Batman, Batman, Batman. Batman in the front of it. Hey, everyone, this has got Batman in it by this film. Oh. Um, it's, it, it would never have as much scope as the TV series did to explore the character. But that's just the nature of the medium. I think the 2005 film although it's not a bad film. Mm. You know, there's a lot of good things about the film. It's got a cracking supporting cast. Who mm. plays Gabriel?
0: Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton is really yeah, good. She's really good enough.
1: And And it's another character where I'd forgotten how little they're actually in it yeah. in terms of screen time, but I remembered that character long yeah. after, and yet they're not acting on yeah. screen that much. And Jaiwan
0: Huntsu is really good as Pop Midnight, and uh, Peter stormari is very good as Lucifer. Yeah. A much yeah. better Lucifer than... Uh, Tom
1: Ellison (laughs) (laughs) So there's a lot to recommend the film, you just have to imagine it's a version of John Constantine on, I don't know Earth 28 or something (laughs) It can be another universe's John Constantine and not ours. That's
0: a good way of thinking about it actually.
1: Yeah, (laughs) because we need ours more than ever, come back (laughs) Maybe in the future if they do somehow bring the live action one back to CW there's the potential for it to continue growing but who knows if it will happen
0: so that's it for episode 13 of time for cakes now we'll catch up with you all next time on episode 14 Mm. but yeah in the meantime do find us on facebook we have a facebook page there you can like us and you can get in touch we'll kind of post updates on when things are happening you can also uh, follow us on twitter at tfcaa um, and you can also visit our webpage, timeforcakesnail.com, where we'll not only post about the podcast, but also occasionally put up blog posts that relate to uh, what we're up to.
1: So that's it. We'll see you next time.
0: Goodbye. Goodbye.